My name is Adam Ashoff. I work at the Masters University in student services, so it's kind of a jack of all trades, master of none. Just a bunch of departments underneath me, loosely related, but I have the distinct joy working with the young people in student activities. So anything that happens on campus that's events related, as you might be uh, entering college if you went to a master's and you were going to go to uh, in a couple weeks, you start with the week of welcome, and you get to see everything happening, coming at you fast, all the freshmen descending at the same time, all the activities around that. We get to plan out, and I get to work with uh, Associated Student Body, which is the leadership team. They come back each year, and they put all of that on. It's about 30 students whose desire is to joyfully serve the campus of Masters for their joy in Christ, and so it's really a privilege and a joy for me to get to do that. And 10 years ago, I was part of Regen. I was one of Austin Duncan's interns when he was the youth pastor doing this. And uh, it's just, it's a privilege to get to be back and get to do a breakout session to talk about following being the new leading. Josh asked me to speak on anything other than leadership. When he said, Adam, can you, can you speak at camp in a breakout? And I was like, great. Yeah, I got some ideas. And before the words leadership could come off my tongue, he was like, just anything besides leadership. So I thought, okay, instead of speaking on leadership, I'll pick the opposite, followership. As hot as to cold, and as young as to old, and as high as to low, and as fast as to slow. I read my young kids a lot of Dr. Seuss, so say. <laughs> so is leading to following. It's the opposite. So if you were going to come here thinking, okay, I want to learn about uh, followership, then you might think I'm not going to learn anything about leadership, but that's not true, because I want to dispel the myth that when we think of opposites like hot and cold or young or old or high or low or fast or slow, that there is no middle ground between those as in you're one or the other. But what I want to do today and why I titled following is the new or old leading is because there is a connection between leadership and followership, between what you could be one day as a leader directly corresponding to who you are today as a follower. So I'll just put that out there on the front end. Uh, I get why Josh didn't want me to do another talk on leadership because it can seem overplayed. You have parents that are probably constantly asking you to be a better leader in the home if you have siblings. I'm already doing it with my six-year-old because there's a four and a two, and as much as he doesn't understand leadership, I'm saying like, Amos, bro, you need to be a better leader to Joey, and Joey is not paying attention to Amos's leadership whatsoever, <laughs> but uh, anytime he messes up, I'm like, come on, man, you gotta lead. And, He's just like, Dad, I just want to go play Legos. <laughs> can, we do, can we do that? Uh, but you might have parents who are wanting you to be a better leader at home. You probably have coaches that want you to be a better leader on your team. You might have a pastor, a youth pastor, who wants you to be a more of a leader in your youth group. And you may have friends who just want you to be the leader when it comes to choosing something to do on Friday night. Let's be honest. I remember those days in high school, like, can somebody just pick the movie we're going to go see? Can somebody just pick the place we're going to go eat, preferably under 10 bucks? So I get it that leadership can seem overplayed in culture today. So another leadership talk you might be questioning the value of, but to talk about followership is to go a different direction. Like the question Job asks, where is wisdom to be found in Job 28? This morning, the question I want to ask is, where is leadership to be found? without actually trying to look towards leadership per se. You can look up leadership online and you can find plenty of it on Google. You just type leadership in and Forbes, Wikipedia, Psychology Today, TED Talks, Harvard Business Review, all of them have, it's not like an article from five years ago. There's a constant supply of articles on what it takes to be a good leader. Then you go over to Amazon and you type in leadership books and you will find not just thousands of books, 
but almost thousands of pages of books on leadership. As I was in the airport flying here, uh, I was at Burbank Airport, not a great selection of reading material there to choose from, but I walked in for the sake of this talk and thought, you know what, in those bookstores and airports, they have plenty to read and it's usually updated. And so I walked by the uh, bookstall to see what they might have on leadership and I was not disappointed when it comes to finding material. First book I picked up was The Mind of the Leader, How to Lead Yourself, Your People, and Your Organization for Extraordinary Results. Next to that was a number one New York Times bestseller, Originals by Adam Grant, How Nonconformists Move the World. Uh, then I saw What to Do When Machines Do Everything, and I just thought that was interesting. <laughs> it's just the fear underlying all of us. What do you do when machines take over? Uh, then I found The Introverted Leader, because if you're, you know, most introverted people probably are not thinking, man, I really want to be out front leading. So somebody wrote a book for the introverted leader, building on your quiet strength. John Maxwell, who's considered one of the leading voices, no pun intended, on Christian leadership, his book latest and probably, I don't know, tomes of his leadership books, No Limits, Blow the Cap Off Your Capacity, whatever that means. Uh, next one was Time, Talent, and Energy, Leading Organizational Drag and Unleashing Your Team's Productive Power. Then there was Brave Leadership, Unleash your most confident, powerful, and authentic self to get the results you need. And then there was Killing Kryptonite. Just sounded a cool title. Destroy what steals your strength. Then there was The Grain Brain, A Whole Life Plan, Boost Your Brain Performance, which is just why I wanted to look at it. Then there was The Purpose Revolution, How Leaders Create Engagement and Competitive Advantage in an Age of Social Good. Then there was Leadership by Way of Emotional Intelligence. So on and on the list goes. Uh, if you are looking for books on leadership, you will not be left in short supply. If you're looking for books on followership, good luck. They're just not out there. It's just not selling. So where is true leadership to be found? Everywhere and at the same time nowhere. Because drown out in the cacophony of voices on leadership, where can I find true leadership? Well, I think we should then look to the greatest leader ever, Jesus Christ. So take your Bible out and turn to Luke 22. If we're going to learn what it means to lead, but leading is relating to following, we should learn from the greatest leader ever who has had the greatest impact on history because 2,000 years later, after his death and resurrection and ascension, he is still building followers. We're all here, aren't we? What's the reason you're here today? Is it because you met Jesus personally and he invited you to camp? Or is it because Jesus had followers, who had followers, who had followers, who had followers, and lo and behold, here you are today because one of the followers of Jesus 2,000 years later made it sound interesting and inviting for you to come to this camp to learn more about Jesus, which is why I consider him the goat of leadership, the greatest of all time, because how do you account for the fact that there's been nobody else in all of history who 2,000 years after they were born, died, and nobody else came back from the dead, still has this big of a following? What does Jesus have to say about leadership as it relates to followership? Luke 22, 24 to 27. A dispute arose among them, speaking of his disciples, as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. 
For who is the greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. What's the big idea out of this? If you want to lead, you must first learn to follow. When it comes to becoming a leader in this life, as a young person or an old person, it's Jesus's way or it's the world's way. That's the horns of the dilemma he put the disciples on right here. And that's the same challenge we face when we read it 2,000 years later. He says, this is the way the world's going to look to leadership. The kings of the Gentiles, they want to rule from over top. But not so with you, followers of me. Let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. Jesus says, it's my way, the low way, or it's the world's way, the highway. You must go low when the world is telling you to fly high. You must say me last when the world is telling you to say me first. You must serve them when the world is telling you to serve self. You must give your life when the world is telling you to take everything you can get. Jesus' disciples were arguing about who the greatest is in their posse who will lead, but Jesus adjusts their attitude by adjusting their altitude, as in their vision, as in they're looking up here, and he's saying, oh, no, 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 I need you all to look down there. That's where leadership is going to begin. It's going to begin by getting lower, by being a follower, not by being the one in charge. You guys are thinking it's up there when it is actually down here. You guys are thinking it's me out front when it's actually you all coming behind. Before you run ahead to lead, you have to learn what it is to get behind and follow. The world leads like that. The kings of the Gentiles, as in those who are in authority in the world, and authority equals leadership, even if it doesn't equal influence. If you are put in charge of something, you at least have the authority to direct how it goes, even if you don't have the influence with people to make them go in the direction you want them to go. But Jesus delivers a crushing blow, the kill shot to their attitude of leadership, which is, this is not so with you. Let that phrase, if there's any phrase that sticks out in this small section here, when it comes to Jesus taking our eyes off the path of worldly leadership on the path to eternal followership, it's this, when he says, not so with you. Young person, this is not how, even though this is the way the world says it works, this is not how it really works. The one who is the greatest is going to be the one who serves. The one who thinks they're going to end up out front is the one that's first willing to get behind. Leadership is actually built upon followership. Therefore, back to the title of this talk, following is the new leading, but really it's the old leading because it's been around since the time that Jesus made it. Are you here to get ahead this morning when you saw leadership stand out in a title? Well, if you are, then you will be in line to get behind. No one is marketing followership today except the ancient counterintuitive wisdom of the greatest of all time of leadership, that the way up is the way down, the way in front is to get the behind. Now think about the difference between leadership in Jesus's way and the world's way. I just have a question to ask you, the audience. When the world thinks of the word leader, what words do they use to define it? Little audience participation. Now, I'm not asking what you think, but when you think on behalf of the world's definition of leadership, what are some words that they might throw out? 
Power. And why power? Because, like, you think if someone has power, then they have the ability to, like, tell people what to do or where yeah. to go. Whoever has the power has the control. They can tell you what to do and where to go. Any other words that come along with leader in the world's definition? As money. Money. And why would money be associated with leadership? You can do a lot with money. For one, you can motivate other people with money. That's how jobs work. You want to work for me? I'll pay you. And now you have to do what I want you to do. Any other words associated with leadership? Status. Status. Who's my, where's status at? Right there. Yeah. Why status? Where you rank on yeah. what's called like maybe social. Okay. So social rank. Just how you're looked at in the eyes of other people, let alone maybe the corporation you're in. There's a hierarchy there. And so as you grow in the leadership ladder, so you have more status. Somebody else had a word? Bossy. Okay, tell me about bossy leadership. Because you're telling people what to do. You're telling people what to do. And hey, listen, John MacArthur, we all love him. When I talk to him about leadership or he gets the opportunity to talk about it, he says, fundamentally, leadership is getting other people what you want them to do. It's, just, it's in the control of the person if that's good leadership or bad leadership, but it really fundamentally is just, here, we need to go this direction, and I need to get the people go in that direction. Uh, any other words? Go ahead. Confidence, confidence and leadership. What's the connection? Well, if you're leading, you have to be confident in what you do, and you have to be confident Okay, you have to be confident because if you're not confident in what you're doing, the people behind you might do what? They might want to do their own thing because they don't believe what you're saying. If you don't believe in yourself, they won't believe in you. That's a good way to say it too. Yeah, if you don't believe in it, if you don't have convictions, we've heard that word thrown around. Now, on the opposite side of that, let's define. We've, we've used all these words that, again, the world's going to love that. Power, status, bossy, they might not want to be called that, but at the end of the day, the person in charge probably likes to think that everybody sees them as the boss. Confidence. Now, let's flip it. What are some words that would be associated with follower in the world's definition? Go ahead. Servant. servant. Why servant? Because you're helping people. Follow. Helping people by following, or if they're following you, you're helping them. Go ahead. Introvert. Why introvert and follower? Because if uh, leaders are more seen as the people who want to be, or who are at the front, who mm -hmm. are like taking charge, mm -hmm. but introverts are seen as the people who are in okay. the background. Yeah, so they're in the background. As he said, a servant. They're not looking to put themselves ahead. They're just to do what somebody else wants to do. Go ahead. Hurley hat. Uncertain. Uh, yes. Uncertain. Why? We'll get to yours. Uncertain. Why? Uncertain and follower. Okay, so you don't know what you're doing. You're uncertain of where you should go or what you should do, so you're willing to follow somebody else. And now we'll get to you. Humility. Humility and followership. Why are those associated? Okay, okay. And did somebody else have one up here towards the front? Poor. Poor. Okay, talk about follower and poor. Because you don't have anybody you have to go work for money. Okay, so... On a very basic physical level, if you can't be in charge of something because you don't have the assets to do it, you have to find somebody that does and you're willing to follow them and be hired by them. Great. Any other words associated maybe with follower? Submissive. Submissive. Talk about that. Just you're submitting to a leader. Yeah. Like yeah. Because if you don't submit, they're probably not going to keep you around very long. And one more. Submission. Okay. So there's all those words that we could throw out that the world, even without the world having an idea of what the Bible might say, that they might define those. And I think uh, in the context of talking about a follower in the world's definition, it's, there's, there's not a premium on it. You won't find a lot written about it. But yet it has come back into our vernacular. It's in our language because of social media. 
prior to social media, the idea of being a follower, I mean, it was always on the side of maybe something that had to do with weakness, uh, uncertain, uh, introvert or weak willed or whatever it might be. And then suddenly with social media, Twitter and Instagram, for instance, follower is now just this idea of I'm almost associating myself with somebody for what? What do you get out of following somebody on social media? What's the payoff for you? Popularity. Just being honest, what you might like about it. Somebody said popularity. popularity. Yeah. So by following someone on social media, you become popular by. Oh, by someone following you. Sure. You're popular. But like that, if you follow somebody who's popular, you know, guilt by association, people might think, hey, they're following people that are influential. Maybe they're influential. Why else would you follow someone? Uh, and this is a, a transparent, personal question. Why do you choose the people you choose to follow on Twitter, Instagram, or whatever else? Go ahead. For information. For information. So you want what they have when it comes to their insight? Yeah, and just like news in general. News in general. Okay, anybody else? To find out like what the new trend is, what the, like they can like, get information. Okay, this is the new trend. They're doing this. I'll be cool if I do that. Okay. I'll do that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it is that. It's they're influential. What they're doing must be cool, at least in the moment, for today until they write something new next week. But I'll get behind that. What else? They can be inspiring. They're inspiring through their lifestyle, quotes they might have that they might recycle from other people, but quotes nonetheless. <laughs> hey, paraphrasing. We all do it. Interesting or entertaining, just for pure entertainment value, you would follow somebody. And when you think about that, I was thinking about why do I follow others on, on either Instagram or Twitter. And uh, on the good side of things, I would say we want their insight. We want their skill. They might do something that you say they do it so well, the more they talk about it, the better I get at it. You might want their wisdom. They may actually have something wise to teach you. And that would be a good kind of respect, admiration. The flip side is you might want their life. You might want to be them, have what they have, which the Bible would put in the category of that's leading you down the path to what? Covetousness, envy. You wish you were something you weren't and they have it so good. And because it's not really real, they make it look really, really good. You know, their life might not be riding that high all the time. There could be a neutral category I would just allow for. Like you might just follow a relative because you like to see pictures of your niece and nephew or something like that. Rather neutral in the sense that it's not leading to something good or bad. It's just, I want to know what somebody is up to. But by following on social media, you're willingly putting yourself behind the influence of another person. Because think about it. That person you follow there, do they have any authority over your life? None. You might work at McDonald's and your boss, who could be your same age, has far more authority over your life than, say, The Rock. But you follow him, he has 111 million followers I looked up the other day. He has zero authority over any of those 111 people, yet they all want to follow him. Now think about on the flip side, our president. As our president, he does have authority over everyone in our country. He makes rules that we have to follow. And yet, at the same time, there's an incongruity because it seems like a lot of people aren't, don't want to be influenced by him. So when we think about leadership being influence and authority and a combination of the two, you can have all authority and very little influence just by way of your position, or you can have all influence and very little authority just by way of what you offer. Skill, ability, insight, wisdom. Now getting back to our talk, as we think about recognizing this in our culture today, there is so much, and this goes back to what Pastor John was talking about when it comes to being aware of the world system we're in. 
Just to note, I'm not trying to go off on social media tangent, but just to say that that's a world system. That's a, that's a manifestation now of the way the world is working, which is a new way to influence you and me and anyone else when on the surface it may not look so harmful. But behind that system is built a market that exists purely for money. Why, why, why is there a career now called an influencer? You know, that's a career path. You might have young people you know, younger than you even, who are now influencers on the internet and they're making a lot of money doing it. I looked that up today as well. Just say, I get curious about these things. And I was looking at influencers and the headlines just from today. First one that comes up when you Google influencer, six steps to becoming an influencer in Entrepreneur Magazine. Uh, in TechSpot, the top Instagram influencer commands a million dollars per post. And there's a person, apparently a person CNN Money wrote about, fat Jewish, the Instagram influencer, says the influencer is so over. So those were the three headlines from influence when you type it in. What is it? Influencer is the individual whose effect on the purchase decision is in some way significant or authoritative. Those two words, influence, significance, or authoritative. Why I bring that up is this, because when you heard about Dr. MacArthur talking about the way the world is working, there is a system built behind all of this, and it's to be built on making money. So you may think innocently, oh, following somebody might not impact me that much because they have no authority over my life, but following them does show they have some influence on your life. And if they're being paid upwards of a million dollars per post, that's a vital business right now. And you know young people that are getting sucked into that. I'm sure as a smirk kind of creeps onto your face, you have thought about or you have a friend that's like, you know what? I wonder if I, if I should start posting some stuff. I, I have, there's a young man I know as I was talking to him in recent months. I mean, he's smart. Charming in some ways, has a lot of friends, makes friends easy. And he's, he's stopping what he's doing over here. He said to just start his career as a brand influencer. And that's what made me look this up because I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, that's a career. It's a thing today. Now, it may be so over according to that one guy. But when you think of how much money is behind it, and we know as we looked at in 1 John 2, that some of those things, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, that is all built into us, which causes us to stand back and say, are we okay with being influenced by the way the world is doing it when Jesus says, not so with you? Life does not terminate on the amount of influence you have for your own gain, because that's the way the Gentiles work. The way it works with me is your influence matters most as you influence people towards me. So what I want to do this morning with the time we have remaining is this. I want to give you six principles of followership. If we are to learn to follow, where do we start? And rather than be on an elusive hunt for leadership, let's go at it in a more counterintuitive way, a subversive way, which is to say, to become great leaders one day, then how can we be great followers now, today? Six principles of followership, how to follow biblically. And I wanted you to be able to walk out of here, and even if you didn't take good notes, you could remember these six things because... They spell the word follow. As cheesy as that might sound, I worked hard to think about, if you can remember the word, I need to follow, and then associate a principle with each one of these letters, maybe you could walk away remembering something. So number one, under follow. Point number one, principle of followership, find the right people to get behind. 
If you want to know the foundational principle to being a great follower, it is this, finding the right person or people to get behind. One A would be Jesus, one B would be people who follow Jesus. It's that simple. If you want to be a great follower, if you want to understand what followership is about, don't Google that on Amazon. Start with finding the right people to get behind. Back to what I said earlier, Jesus is the greatest leader ever. 2,000 years later, he still has all authority and all influence. Why do I say that? If authority or if leadership is built on the twin principles of authority and influence, authority being you can tell someone what to do because you're in charge or influence, they want to listen to you willingly even when you're not in charge. Jesus is 100% in both, is he not? It begins and ends with him. You want to talk about influence? What are the first words Jesus commanded his disciples? Follow me. Get behind me. Come after me. That's what translated that word would mean. Did Jesus have any authority in his humanity at the time he called fishermen to abandon their nets and follow him? He didn't. But what does it say in Matthew 4? It says immediately they followed him. They dropped what they were doing. That, my friend, is influence. Whatever it was about Jesus, that he not only commanded those to follow him by influence, he kept them with him. Does Jesus have all authority? Talk about his divinity, his deity. What are his final words as the disciples as he's departing from the earth? You know this, Matthew 28, 18, before the command is, all authority has been given to me. And where? Just down here? No, in heaven and in earth. So therefore... Because of that prerequisite of authority that I have, go into all the world and make disciples. So Jesus has, I'm just saying, look, right from the Bible, he is the beginning and end of all true leadership. Because he has, if we're going to even look at leadership through the lens of the world, and it is built on authority and influence, he has all of it in spades. It begins and ends with him from the start of his earthly ministry to the finale of it. So if you want to get the right person, find the right person to get behind, it starts by getting behind Jesus. He is both Savior, and now I'll stretch this. He is Savior, which in my mind, as I personally apply that, I see him as having all influence over me. Why? Because I want to follow the person that was willing to die for me. Greater love has this than no man, that he would be willing to die for another person. Not just a friend, but even an enemy. We know love by this, that he died for us. 1 John 3, 16. He demonstrated his love in that he came and died for us. He has 100% influence in my life as my savior because he did for me what I could never do for myself. And he has 100% influence or authority over my life because he is Lord and master of all. He is Lord and master of all of the whole universe, Philippians 2 tells us. Every knee will bow and tongue confess. He may not be someone's savior, as in they don't want the influence of Christ in their life, but he still has authority over it. Don't miss that. And so for any follower of Jesus, by coming to Christ, if you're a Christian here, you are saying he has all authority and all influence in my life because he is my Savior and Lord. And to say I follow him means I come after him, I get behind him. There's no leader like him. If you're in Christ, could you imagine following anyone else? It's like Peter in John 6 when it says, after his teachings, many walked away and he turns and says, are you going to do the same? What does Peter say back to him? Lord, whom to whom? Not where, not what. He says, who else would we go to? You have the words of eternal life. 
I think about that sometimes as I, I think about, you know, the hardship life's going to throw at me. It's just inevitable. Man is born to trouble as sparks fly upward, says Job. What would it take for me to question my followership of Christ? In the moment I, I lack faith, I think about what Peter says and say, where, even if hardship comes, where else would I go? Who else would I turn to? But the greatest leader of all time, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Get behind the right person and then get behind the right people. 1B, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, other people who follow Christ. Be imitators of me, Paul says, as I am of Christ. Paul gives us the key to unlock the door of faithful followership. In 1 Corinthians 11, 1, that's the key. If you want to have faithful followership in this life, not just of Jesus Christ, but of those who follow Jesus Christ, it's 1 Corinthians 11, 1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. What is Paul saying there? Paul is saying this, the person whose life is at the intersection of Christ's life, that's who you listen to and that's who you follow. Doesn't mean you make an idol of them because they are fallible. They will fail you. But at the point somebody is following me, whether my own son or some student I'm discipling, all I'm telling them is this from 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, in Paul's example, that where Adam Ashoff's life and deeds intersects Jesus Christ's, that's what you follow. Everything else you can let fall aside. You know what? Because everything else besides that is just preference. And I have strong preferences. I like sandwiches. I like the Pittsburgh Steelers. I like watching the Pittsburgh Steelers and eating a sandwich at the same time. And any young man who has been discipled by me or by default, say a young lady comes to our house and hangs out, they're going to see that. That's preference. I got a lot of them. But it's the principle that they follow, which is the intersection the horizontal of my life and the vertical of the life and words of Jesus Christ, where that intersection happens, yeah, somebody could get behind me and follow me. Anything outside of that spot right there, take it or leave it. There could be wisdom in it, but truthfully, following the example of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, imitate me, follow me as I follow him. Right there. The vertical of Christ's life, the horizontal of mine, that's where somebody can follow. And that's who you want to follow. When you look at somebody in your church, a mentor, a discipler, they're not going to be perfect. So you can allow for all the preferences. You can allow for all the periphery. But it's at that intersection that you say, that's what I'm following. Where I see their deeds and their words match up to those of Jesus Christ, I'm following that. And then by extension, where Paul's did, you follow his example. So that's how discipleship works. My question for you is simply this. Have you found the right person to get behind? Have you found the right person to get behind? Have you found Jesus Christ? Has he found you? You get behind him. And then you get behind those who are behind him. Number two, you know the great thing about me telling you the word follow is now you're sitting there saying, oh, what's, what's the O going to be? Because that's a really weird <laughs> word. And there's two of them. Number two is this. And it's kind of like the opposite of the first one. Oppose all forms of self-promotion. Number two, as you think about being a good follower, is to oppose all forms of self-promotion. So as I said, kind of the, the flip side of the coin, if we are to find the right people to follow, as in Jesus and other people following Jesus, now we want to oppose all forms of of self-promotion, i.e. we're not in it to follow ourselves, though it is so tempting to promote ourselves, to be interested in ourselves. Don't we all just look for our face in the picture we see of the big group? We're just interested in us. 
But verse 25 and 27 says, you know, that's how the world works. They exercise lordship. Who is the greater? The one who reclines at the table. We all want to be the king where people are serving us. We like that treatment. We want to climb that ladder and the world tells us we have to climb over other people to get there. But my question for you is this. Who does the Bible say God looks to? Isaiah 66, 2. It says, this is the one to whom I look. He or she who is humble in spirit, humble and contrite in spirit and trembles in my word. That's who God looks to. Who does God lift up? James 4, 4 or 4, 6. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Who is our ultimate example in non-self-promotion, in humility? Jesus, Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, two adjectives to describe himself. Only time you'll find him in the gospels talking about himself. As in describing what he's like. He says what? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me that I am two words, gentle and lowly in spirit, which is the word in the New Testament for humility. I'm gentle. I'm meek. Power under control. I'm humble. I'm, and this word humble is beautiful because it's, it's just its most base meaning, its most foundational meaning. It, it, it's a physical type word. It's just getting low. And Jesus says, learn from me. If you're going to come after me, if you're going to get behind me, this is what you're going to be like. You're not going to be promoting yourself. You will oppose promoting yourself in all forms and ways because in following me, you will follow me in these two ways. You'll learn from me that I'm gentle. I'm not running over anybody, even though I have the ability to do it. And I'm humble. I'm lowly. I am the one who will stoop to serve. I am the one who did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Can you follow those guardrails of opposing self-promotion in your life? When you not rather than look at it in the negative, like, oh, I just need to deny self, and do that, you know, but actively just saying, look, if I want to follow Christ and be like him and oppose self-promotion in my life, maybe I just put the guardrails up of this. I want to be gentle in my actions and I want to be humble in my attitude. It's like just the mentality that everyone is more important than you, which is what Paul says in Philippians 2. Think more highly of others than of yourself. I had a mentor who taught me, Adam, when you walk into a room, do you tell yourself this? Everyone is more important than you. It's a good practical shoe leather faith, boots on the ground starting point. You'll get traction with that. When you walk into a room, where you sit, what you want, where you'll stand, who you'll talk to, it's a foundational question you might ask yourself, who's more important than me in this room? Everyone, according to Christ. Gentle, I'm not pushing people aside for my own agenda. Humble, there's nobody that I wouldn't be willing to talk to, nothing I wouldn't be willing to stoop to do for someone else. Avoid all forms of self-promotion. Stop reading your own headlines, particularly stop reading your own headlines and then retweeting them. There's a phenomenon on Twitter that started a few years back called the humble brag. It was couching pride with a veneer of humility. And it was this idea that, oh, yeah, I just want to, don't want to come out and tell people how great I am. So the humble brag became this comical thing where it was identified not by believers or Christians who were like, oh, sinners. No. I mean, just people in the secular world were like, oh, check this person out. They're so thankful they had the opportunity to present an award at the Grammys and win one at the same time. 
I mean, it was just they were following celebrities, non-celebrities, catching people. And there was a person who created a Twitter handle called like the Humble Brag. And he would find people on there and call them out on it and retweet some statement that seemed like, oh, you know, it's just such a good feeling when I stopped and gave that poor person 50 bucks today on the side of the road. Hashtag compassion or something like that. And he would just call people out for these humble brags, which was trying to retweet their own headline. Totally missing the point of you don't need to promote yourself. In fact, you need to oppose all forms of self-promotion to be a great follower of Christ. There's a saying out there, the world's smallest package is a man wrapped up in himself. You've probably heard it before. Proverbs 27.2, let another praise you and not your own mouth. Proverbs 25.6, don't put yourself forward in the presence of a king. Whether it's what you say or what you do, don't let it be about you. You want to be a good follower, oppose all forms of self-promotion. And it's just so tempting you're talking to an expert. I mean, I, I just, we could do it in the church as well as anybody. I remember growing up in high school youth group, just like you, going on a missions trip. What was a good motive also could be corrupted within the trip when I was like, you know what? I, I just want to really be the servant today, which I think was good. But I want to make sure I do it in the maximum amount of other people in the youth group could see me doing it, just to get a little bit of credit. In the scripture, it's like, do you want to be a good follower, Adam? It's not about self-promotion. It's not about somebody seeing you do it. It's about doing it for the motive of following Christ and following others as they follow Christ. So that was kind of like uh, twin sides, same coin. Follow the right people and then oppose all self-promotion. Number three, the first L, listen intently to others. You want to be a good follower? Listen intently to others. Cultivate the instinct. Job 12, 11, to turn your ear into a tongue. The ear tastes words like the tongue tastes food, he says. Be a good listener. Turn that ear. Think about the way that, uh, camp food is a terrible way to illustrate this. But think about that in and out burger that you can't wait to eat when you leave camp on the way home. Or Grace Community Church kids, whatever it is you're going to eat at Cracker Barrel. And how you will, after a week of camp food, savor the flavor of whatever it is you're about to eat. Your lips are watering. The people from Alabama in the room getting back to Bojangles or whatever it is that it just scratches that itch for you. And you taste it and you let it roll over the tongue. The scripture commends, Job and his wisdom commends to turn your ear into that tongue with people's words. As in, take it in slowly. Try to really hear what they're saying. Don't be already thinking about your comeback. Or just on a very basic sense, be more interested in what they have to say than what you want to say. Just stop talking about yourself. Develop an appetite and a taste for other people's insights. Proverbs 12, 15, a wise man listens to advice. The world says, listen to yourself. Steve Jobs don't let the noise of other people's opinions drown out your own inner voice, was his advice. Any Shel Silverstein readers in the house where the sidewalk ends? You can admit it. He said this, though, in one of his poems. I don't know which one it is. There is a voice inside of you that whispers all day long. I feel that this is right for me. I know that this is wrong. No teacher, preacher, parent, friend, or wise man can decide what's right for you. Just listen to the voice that speaks inside. You know, the world tells you to just listen to your own inner voice. Scripture tells you to listen to the wisdom from God's word, Psalm 1. That's the blessed man or the blessed woman who meditates on his word day and night. Doesn't listen to their own inner voice. God has given us a beautiful ratio of ears to tongue, two to one. So you might want to double down on listening 
and cut the talking in half. And I don't say that with any type of condes like condescension or attitude of superiority. I am working at this daily, which is Adam. It's listening to your wife. It's listening to your kids. Even in the midst of trying to correct them, I should, I'm treating them like a human by being willing to listen to what they want to tell me about what's going on in the situation they don't think I understand. And then it's in ministry. People I disciple, people that disciple me. Am I more interested in listening to them, listening intently to them, than telling them what I know? Proverbs 12, 23. A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly. Somebody shrewd, somebody sensible. They might even have something they want to say, but they want to keep learning more and learning more and sitting on it and waiting on it before they're going to articulate their thought. Proverbs 17, 28. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. Speak and remove all doubt, Lincoln or Twain. We don't know who. Number four, that, again, this is kind of the yin to the yang of points three and four because the two L's, they go together. If you're listening intently to others, when you do speak up, here's the other L, learn to ask good questions. You want to be a great follower? The principle number four is learn to ask good questions. It's the other side of the coin. If I'm really interested and eager to listen to people, here's when I speak up. Learn to ask a good question. Teachability is spelled Q-U-E-S-T-I-O-N-S. -E questions. You want to be a teachable young person? Learn to ask good questions. The presupposition of a fool is thinking there is nothing to learn from someone else. Again, I am the guilty party here. One of my mentors, disciples 10 years ago, recognized this in me, was patient with me, but on one occasion, one circumstance where I was just so adamant about my point of view, I was really driving for it. I was really trying to just let him know that I was right and he was wrong. He walked away, sent me an email a few hours later, this one line in it. Adam, you really should learn to embrace perspectives that don't originate in your own head. Sent. Received. Crushed me. It was a turning point for me. I mean, I was like late 20s, and it's for the first time in my life I'm thinking, wow, I don't do that. I think every idea that originates in my head is the best one. I'm sure none of you can relate. <laughs> but you know what is like the, 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 the kill shot to that? The silver bullet is asking someone else what they think with the intent to listen and learn and maybe put into practice what they're teaching you. Learn to ask questions. Proverbs 18.2, a fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. Learn to ask good questions. One of the challenges of your generation, I was reading about in this book, Meet Generation Z, young people born after 95 up until this point. And I know you probably don't like being talked about in these books because they usually don't highlight the good things. This book has a lot of good to say about your generation. One of the things it just says flat out is you are a Wi-Fi enabled generation. You don't know what life is like to, be, to live without Wi-Fi. You've come into the world and all the information in the world is at your fingertips, which one of the implications of that is this. No one has had the ability in history prior to you to not have to ask another human being an answer or a question to get an answer. You are the most self-driven, self-motivated, self-taught generation. Congratulations. That is to be commended. The weakness to that strength 
is you will not have the proclivity or the priests, you know, that I need to now ask a human what they think because I Googled it or I spent time researching it. Or I, I found somebody's opinion. It was just in digital binary form on my phone. Rather than to go up to a human being and say, hey, what do you think of this? And get the wisdom that they have to offer because the Bible commends it. That's just a part of what you're experiencing, your generation, which is not like mine. I Google for information, not for wisdom. But that line has been blurred with your generation because that's what you've known. It's always been there right in front of you. So I'm not saying that is a negative thing. If the strength of your generation is you can be self-driven, self-directed, independent, the weakness that comes with that is you may not have the instinct to go to someone else, particularly maybe older and wiser, and to ask them what they think. Yes, they might not have the answer to your calculus problem, but they could tell you why calculus might or might not matter for your future endeavors. Number five. Any guesses at this point? The second O, nothing. Okay, we'll just go then. Number five is this. Own up to your weaknesses. You want to be a good follower? Learn to own up to your weaknesses. Paul says this all throughout his letter in 2 Corinthians, kind of at the culminating point in chapter 11, that when I am weak, he is strong. A good follower is going to understand that they're, they're, they have weaknesses, just period. And being a follower helps you to see that a lot more. I mean, you'll eventually see it as a leader, but if you don't cultivate the instincts to be a good follower and to embrace your weaknesses, when you become a leader one day, you will be really, really protective of self, insecure about yourself, because you'll become a leader and those weaknesses will be exposed and magnified. But if you learn how to be a good follower and to own up to your weaknesses by going back to the last point, asking questions, listening to others, going to somebody like, tell me what's wrong with my life. Show me the error of my ways. Yes, we get it from the word of God, but other people in your life, parents in particular, pastors, even your own friends, hey, I messed up. I'm not just coming to you to repent, but can you help me to actually do it better next time? Ask that follow-up question. And you know, here's the sweet part about that. When somebody sees that teachability in you, a parent in particular, they're going to see growth in you. They'll see you on the right path. When you're not just going back to them to, to, to seek forgiveness and to say you were wrong, but then you've asked the follow-up, hey, how could I have done it better next time? I know that thing we talked about blew up into an argument and I'm owning up to my weakness of my anger or lack of self-control, but can you help me to, let's rewind that conversation. Mom, dad, where did I go wrong in it? I want to know my weakness. You know, I finally, at the age of like 35, a couple years ago, said, mom and dad, what was I like as a teenager? And there he just like, let loose. Like, Dad, we loved you. We loved the independence. We loved the whatever. But man, were you prideful. You did not want to be told anything other than what you had already thought about, you know, come to arrive at. I'm like, why didn't you guys tell me so long before? Because you never asked. Ask the question. Listen intently. Own up to your weaknesses. Here's, here's the principle here. Perspective is the only gift you can't give to yourself. It's got to come from somebody else. Why do I love Waze? Why do I love Google traffic? Because it's the collective perspective of everybody else stuck on the 405 that tells me I should take a different way. And when I'm in my own car, 50 miles from LAX, and I need to get there on time, I can't get myself there on time without that help. You get what I'm saying? 
Perspective is the only gift you can't give to yourself, friend. You're in the car and you could look forward, sideways, sideways, or back, but you can't look from above. God's perspective, his what? Wisdom, and others' perspective who are on the road with you. Proverbs, or Romans 12, 3. Think about ourselves rightly. Think with sound judgment, it says. Have the attitude about your weaknesses that bad news is welcome here. Embrace it. Feedback is your friend. You want it. And oftentimes it's going to come by way of teaching about your weakness, and that's okay, because we all have them. And the insecure leader, 10, 20 years from now, never was willing to ask for it now, so makes them insecure then. Number six, last but not least, I, 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 was, I got to, I, I was at this point, I'm like, man, I think I got something. And I'm like, W? Aha. And this is legit. I wasn't just pasting it on. Write down everything you can. You want to be a good follower? You want to have something stocked in the war chest to pull out later? Write down everything you can. If you want something to pass on later as a leader, what are you writing down today as a learner? It's just a behavioral science thing. They've studied it. That's which we write down. Better than even this. Because our world of doing this is so, it's just such a gamut of like social life and, and liking things. But when you stop and write things down and you have a conversation with a mentor, discipler, and you go back to a journal and you say, and this is what I try to do. I've tried to cultivate the pattern, the habit, just after I've talked with somebody that's speaking to my life, I don't want to have like the pen and note paper there. You could do that, but it's kind of awkward a little bit. But I go back later, and this is where you really know you've received wisdom. When there's some truth or two or three that you can galvanize and write down and be like, an hour later, what did I just learn? I just had Starbucks with my mentor. Two hours later, I can write it down. It may be just a, a pithy line or two, a bullet point, but that is a deposit of wisdom. That is Proverbs 23, 23. Buy the truth and do not sell it. When you don't write it down, you're likely not going to remember it. The quote from the email Copied and pasted it, wrote it down 10 years ago. Adam, you need to learn to embrace perspectives that don't originate in your own head. I've been living off that one ever since. And here's the thing. Anything I have to say right now about leadership, followership, is the collective amount of everything else somebody has deposited in me, whether it's by way of the Bible or somebody else's teaching. So when I write it down, I tend to remember it. So there it is. Follow six principles of followership. Here's why I offer it to you. Because if you spend your young days embracing these principles of what it means to be a good follower, you will enjoy later days of the privilege of being a leader. And it is a privilege. Did you hear what John said to Josh as he was about to go off stage when Josh thanked him? Said it twice, he repeated it. What a privilege, what a privilege. John MacArthur is a premier leader. Foundationally, he sees his leadership as a privilege, as a gift. Not something to be lorded over like the Gentiles, but what does he do with his leadership position? He uses it to serve. May it be with all of you. Let me pray for you and then you could leave. Father, we thank you for this time together. Thank you for your truths. I pray it helps all of us to be better followers in here. And we will allow you to lift us up when that time comes. But for now, may we take the Christ path, the low path, the humble and the gentle path for your glory. Amen.